Welcome to Of The Ether Podcast, where we help the modern intuitive connect to their body, authentic self, the ether, and beyond. I'm your host, Alyssa McDowell, Holy Fire Karuna Reiki Master and Teacher. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm going to do something that I've already done before. Um, hopefully a little better. The first time around I talked about my history, I felt a little self-conscious about it. (laughs) Um, It's a really long-winded story, and uh, being that the podcast was so new, really it's still new, but at the time it was my very first episode, and I always just thought I could do it better. So we are going to do it better this time. Hopefully so the story comes full circle. You'll see the beginning, the end, and how everything turned out just fine. So I used to be sick my entire life. (laughs) Um, I used to really identify with my chronic illness because it had been my companion for the majority of my life. And really, even now today, I have been sick more than I have been healthy and feel good. And when you're struggling with chronic illness, it does become a part of you. It's so all-consuming. You start to become it. You and the chronic illness start to become like melded into this one being which when that happens, it can be really detrimental to your recovery if you can't see the separation between those two things, if you cannot find your autonomy outside of your chronic illness. And so I'm going to be sharing my journey about how I found my autonomy within myself, separated from my chronic illness, which allowed me to break free from all of those things and start really truly healing and I did that with spirituality and mindset Reiki energy work like no joke like if you would have told me 10 years ago that I was going to heal my body with all those different modalities I would have called bs but they have truly made the most impactful change in how my body functions from a day-to-day basis And so before we talk about how that happened, we have to talk about what the hell was wrong. (laughs) And there was a lot wrong, a lot wrong. When I think about my diagnoses, (laughs) I always refer to it as a resume because it's really long. It's really detailed. Things came in, they went out, they stayed for a really long time, then they would disappear and then come back. And it's, it's so incredibly detailed. I've had to keep daily diaries on my symptoms just so I can convince my doctors that I'm not fucking crazy and I'm not lying and I am really experiencing these things because that happens with chronic illness. If you've been there, you know. Um, But really, I have been sick the majority of my life. My digestion started showing signs of not really working at optimal levels when I was two. Coincidentally, this was around the same time that my parents got divorced, my mom got remarried, I moved to a new house, suddenly had a new sibling, and like there was a lot of changes. And I don't remember that period at all, really. But I do remember stories of 
my mom and my grandma and my great-grandma trying to help me as a very young toddler with digestion issues and constipation. And those issues just never got better. They were there for my entire childhood. To the point where even in elementary school, I can remember a significant time period, I think around like the fourth grade Valentine's Day. I remember I missed the party. I missed the fourth grade Valentine's Day party because I had to go to the doctor because my stomach hurt so bad. Um, I had x-rays done. I had tests. I remember there was stool testing. And really, the diagnosis was, we don't really know what's wrong. She seems fine. She seems healthy. Like, she just seems to need more fiber. Like, make her eat fiber wafers, Metamucil, like, do all the things so we can keep her digestion running smoothly and all of that, you know. I ate the fiber wafers. I did all the things I was supposed to, but the pain, like day-to-day pain, never really seemed to go away. And slowly but surely, you know, you go to the nurse's office so many times and eventually they just stop believing you because there's no diagnosis. Like, it's just a kid. She's got a stomach ache. She says she's got a stomach ache, but she probably just wants to get out of class, whatever the excuse is. But uh, my stomach really fucking hurt all the time, my entire childhood. Food, food hurt my body so much. Um, we lived in a household where you ate everything that you were given at a meal, right? I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But there would come a time during the meal where my body was like, enough is enough. You cannot fit any more food in your body. But like rules are rules and I was supposed to finish everything on my plate and it would get to the point where I was in so much pain and I could not fathom putting any more food in my body that I would start putting food in my pockets. Like slowly like pretending I'm eating it and like dropping my hands down under the table and filling my pockets with food so I could throw them away later. That's how desperate I was to not finish my food. because it hurt so bad. And this cycle, the same routine continued elementary school, all through high school, and beyond really for a little bit longer. But in high school, I started to get a new symptom. Very suddenly, it truly felt like it just happened overnight. I was active. I was on the dance team. Like I lived a fairly normal high school life. And one day I just woke up and I could not catch my breath. Like we, I remember our high school had this huge staircase going from the first floor to the second floor. It was probably around 30 steps. It was a very large staircase. And I recall going up about eight steps and realizing that I was out of breath. Like I had just run a marathon and I was like, oh, that, that's strange. That's never happened before. And this continued and I started to really struggle in dance class. My mom took me to the family physician and he was like, "Eh, I think she's got exercise induced asthma. Like here's an inhaler. See you later. Little did I know he did not teach me how to properly use an inhaler. And it's probably another story, but I used it not like you're supposed to and ended up increasing my heart rate more than it needed to. And it was like a whole thing. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? And like, there's a taste of Western medicine for you. Eventually, we learned over time that the 
standard inhaler for that they use for exercise-induced asthma was not doing the trick. Eventually, I got prescribed a steroid inhaler. It was like this purple disc with powder in it that you inhaled. And I remember it cost a lot of money. It was like $250 a month around like 2005, 2006, which was like a lot of money. But that was a solution. Um, suddenly I had asthma completely seemingly out of nowhere. Here's a steroid inhaler. See you later again. <laughs> Even after that inhaler, I really had to watch my activity levels. Uh, hiking was out of the question. I had to drop out of dance. I just could not keep doing it because my body wouldn't allow me to. I continued using this inhaler for a few years. 2006, 7, 8, 9. Yeah, so four years. And I would notice periods of time where sometimes the asthma seemed to be better, sometimes it was worse, but I couldn't really like nail down a pattern. But when I was 20, uh, a few months before my 21st birthday, I decided to go see a doctor in the new town that I lived in. I moved to a big city, uh, met my husband. We weren't married yet, but I was living in a different city with different doctors and lots more specialists than I was accustomed to. And so I decided to make an appointment with a pulmonologist, which is a specialist of the lungs. With that doctor, I went through a slew of breathing tests for asthma specifically. Uh, and what they found was, I don't have asthma, <laughs> which really shocked the hell out of me. He did find something else, though, in x-rays, and that was that I had something called straight back syndrome. Uh, the curve in my back is just a little bit different than what is considered normal. Really, he didn't think that it would affect my life really at all. Maybe when I got older, but I'll, I'll be fine. But he also said, like, you don't have asthma. Um, I think maybe you should see a GI specialist. And I was like, really? For breathing? That's odd, but Okay. I wanted answers, so I was really up for anything. So I went to a GI specialist and went through another round of testing, lots of different tests over several weeks. And what the tests showed were that I had celiac disease and gastroparesis. And suddenly I was hit with the realization that the solution that I was given when I was a child was actually what was making me sicker. All those fiber wafers, the Metamucil that they were having me ingest was all making me sicker for decades. Not decades, like a little over one decade, okay? <laughs> um, and I had to switch to a gluten-free diet. If you're not familiar with gastroparesis, it basically just means that my digestion works a lot slower than normal. Now, gastroparesis does work kind of like on a range basis. Um, some people have it really mildly. I believe I had it more mildly. Um, where other people have it really, really severe and they have a really hard time digesting anything. For me, I had have a hard time digesting things that are really cold and things that are like raw. So I don't eat a lot of nuts. I don't eat a lot of raw vegetables just because it. I can feel that it makes my digestive system work a little bit harder, which in turn causes pain. The pain that comes with gastroparesis is also associated with feeling full really fast or quicker than the normal person. 
So for me, when I feel full, I'm not actually full in terms of capacity. I feel full because I feel in pain, which when I realized that much later than this diagnosis, it like boggled my mind for so long. Anyway, suddenly I realized that stuffing food in my pockets because I was too full as a kid made a lot of sense. After receiving these diagnoses, I was, I was happy that I had answers. That was the first thought that I had or the first feeling that I had was, yes, I have answers. This is great. I can tell everybody that like, hey, I have been sick this whole time. Like no one believed me, but like, here's the proof. And then reality sunk in and I was like, fuck, I can't have bread anymore. I can't have cereal. I can't have mac and cheese anymore. And this is 2009, and this was like right at the cusp of gluten-free becoming a fad. It was right at the start of it. So a lot of restaurants did not have gluten-free options, and if they did, they certainly weren't educated on how to properly prepare the food. So people who actually needed to be gluten-free for dietary issues would have a safe, unpainful experience. So if I were to go into a restaurant right now and I had a significant amount of cross-contamination or like full-out gluten on my plate and if I accidentally ate it, I will see the effects of that food within 20 to 30 minutes. It might be pain. It might be gas. In most extreme cases, I'm running to the bathroom. Um, And that experience is incredibly painful. But I really struggled with the diet. I went through a really low period of time where... Like I just I just didn't know what to eat and my favorite food before going gluten-free was bread. I cringe now thinking back on how I used to eat, but I really had no idea how to eat at this period in my life. I ate when I was hungry and I stopped when I started to feel pain, which was fairly soon. And so like I just ate to get by. It was really just like a survival mechanism it was it was never a pleasurable experience it was never a nourishing experience like when I think back now I was like there was no nutritional value in anything I ate at that time it it was terrible (laughs) but I went through like a six month probably depression I cried so much over what I could not eat anymore and my husband can attest to all the crying and all the complaining and <laughs> it, it was it was a rough patch for sure but eventually I got the diet down and it was fine and uh now like I have no memory of what a donut tastes like I don't know what cake tastes like anymore what I do miss is the texture of things that have gluten I do miss that but I don't have any memory now almost 15 years later of what those things actually taste and feel like Fast forward a few years, my husband and I are now married. We've been married for a few years and we wanted to start a family, which wasn't as easy as they tell you in high school. (laughs) We struggled getting pregnant for about two years and then I finally did get pregnant and I went in for my normal like first ultrasound checkup. I went in at 11 weeks And we found out that the baby had died. And the baby had died likely around six weeks, but it still hadn't aborted itself yet. 
which was an experience all on its own. I would never wish that upon anyone. And But I know that 25% of all pregnancies end that way. So I'm sure the story feels really familiar and you can relate if you have been pregnant before. But after finding out the baby had died, I had decided to not use any medication to quicken the abortion, basically. But it needed to leave my body in at least two weeks' time before it was going to start making me sick. It would start poisoning my body. It took about a week for the baby to leave, which was an experience that I was not mentally prepared for. It was a really long time ago now, and I still struggle to kind of find the words to use to sufficiently describe the experience, but the contractions were incredibly painful, but what made it so much more painful than a regular birth was the emotional pain that came with it. It's one thing to have physical pain, knowing that you are going to meet this new baby that's going to be with you for years to come. It's another thing to experience that pain, knowing that you won't have that time with that baby, and that when that baby is out of your body, it is gone. The physical and emotional pain pairing is terrible. (laughs) So after losing that first baby of mine, we went through some testing to figure out why the baby wasn't able to sustain life. And we found out that I was hypothyroid. So my body didn't produce the hormones that it needed to, uh, to keep me functioning healthy, but also to keep a pregnancy functioning as it should. The next year, with some help of some fertility medication, we had a healthy baby boy. Pregnancy went well. The birth is what it was. That's probably a whole other story, but it went well. But then a few years later, we were trying to have a second baby, and we had two more losses before we had a successful pregnancy with my daughter. After my daughter's birth... Her journey earthside, my health started to tank fast. The first thing that settled in was extreme chronic fatigue, which was new to me. And I just thought like, hey, I'm a mom, like I'm a new mom, I have a baby. This is normal. It's just like how it is. But then I started to notice like tingling in my arms and... (laughs) Eventually, that tingling turned into some of the worst pain that I have ever experienced. I didn't know it was inflammation at the time, but my arms both felt like they were wrapped with bubble wrap. And the way that they were wrapped was incredibly tight. And because they were hypothetically wrapped in this bubble wrap, I could not move my joints and my fingers my elbows and even my shoulders hurt but the most of it was in my my elbows and down to my fingertips and when I did move them it was met with incredible excruciating pain it was hard to work at the computer I worked as a graphic designer at the time and 
it, it, it just hurts so much to sit at my desk and click around on my mouse and type on a keyboard and constantly move my fingers. And then when I got home, I remember not being able to hold a spatula while I was cooking, like the action of gripping something hurt so bad. I couldn't hold a pen. My writing was shaky and suddenly I didn't recognize my handwriting. I would lay in bed with my arms as straight as I could get them and just like silently scream because it hurt so bad and I could like it hurt to move but it hurt to stay still. It was it was beyond terrible. My husband would make ice baths in the sink and I would just like plunge my arms into them as long as I could muster just to like get relief from the pain that I was experiencing all day long. At the same time, I had like just normal, well, not normal. I had body aches all over my body. While I didn't have like the pain that I had in my arms, my body felt really like rickety and brittle. And it was, it just like, it started to feel crunchy. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but it started to feel that way. It, it felt like an old person's body. In my gut, I had always assumed that it was my thyroid. I had no medical training or knowledge. Like, There's no reason why I w should have suspected that this was my thyroid. But I went back to my OB who diagnosed me with hypothyroid and I was like, hey, can we check my levels? Like something is really wrong. I'm in a lot of pain. I don't know what's up. And she did lab tests and everything was fine. So she sent me to my primary care physician and she was like, hey, everything looks fine. They did x-rays. They took some labs and like, no, it's, it's not your thyroid, but I don't really know what else it is. Maybe you should see a rheumatologist. So I went to see the rheumatologist and he was like, no, you look fine. I don't know why you can move. Maybe you just need some physical therapy. I was like, no. I knew physical therapy was not going to do anything. And he was just like throwing noodles at the wall. Is that the expression? Noodles? I don't think so. So I went back to my primary care doctor and was like, hey, he said it wasn't this. And she was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So I sat in that space of being in chronic pain for several months. And it was during this time that I started to explore alternative health or like functional medicine. And I was like, these, these doctors that I was told to love and trust who knew everything are not helping me and I cannot live this way. Eventually, I found a functional medicine practitioner who specialized with women's health and hormones. And so I booked an appointment with her. There was a six-month wait, but I waited. And when I first saw her for that first appointment, I brought all my documentation of all my symptoms day by day and shared it with her. And she asked to see the lab work that all the other doctors had pulled. So I brought it up on the computer. She was looking at them and she goes, oh, it's right here. And I was like, what? What's right there? She goes, you have Hashimoto's disease. She goes, it's right here. It's right here. They missed it. And I was like, well, what's that? And she goes, it's, a, it's an autoimmune disease regarding your thyroid. Your body is attacking your thyroid. 
which is why you have crazy inflammation and pain and you're tired, mood swings, like all the things, digestion even, it affects that. And I was like, oh, first I felt relieved to have an answer and then anger (laughs) swept in because I had seen so many doctors and the one person who could help me helped me with the lab work that those original doctors took. And yeah, the the functional medicine practitioner who did diagnose me confirmed it with her own labs, just to be sure, but I had Hashimoto's disease. First thing she told me was to cut out all grains, including corn and sugar and dairy. And I was like, okay, if that will make me feel better, great, I will do it. And she recommended some books, so I went to Barnes & Noble immediately after the appointment, grabbed the books I needed, and went home. And I was like, yes, I am going to be fine. This is going to be great. It wasn't great. (laughs) At this point in my life, I was a rule follower. You give me rules. You give me structure. I can follow those. Okay? I can get it done. In fact, I like to follow the rules. I found rules to be a safety net. I found them to be easy to follow, but this diet was not easy by any degree at all. I went through large stints of eating really good, eating the way that I was supposed to, and then I would have a craving. And then I would worry about the craving. I'm like, I really want it. And then I would be like, but no, I can't. And then Eventually, my self-control would bust and I would have the thing and then I would have the guilt and then I'd be like, well, I already ruined the day, so let's just really ruin it and just eat whatever I want for the rest of the day. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll eat the way that I want tomorrow and the next day too. And then like, well, I already ruined it, so maybe I just won't start the clean diet, the healthy diet, the diet I'm supposed to do until like next week. Let's, let's start it like on a fresh week right? (laughs) You go through this cycle of doing all the things you're really supposed to, and then you break it once, and then you really break it because you're already broken, and you might as well just like keep breaking it. Enjoy the breaking of it, you know? But I struggled with that back and forth for a really, really long time, and every time I slipped and ate something I wasn't quote-unquote supposed to be eating, I felt incredible guilt and shame and I didn't want to tell anyone that I was eating what I wasn't supposed to because I was telling them at the in the same breath that I needed to eat this other way and this other way was going to save my life but I just like wasn't getting there and I didn't understand how to be that person who just like naturally wants to and actually does eat the way that they need to for their body health. And this volleying back and forth of eating good and not eating good lasted for just under two years. It was quite a while. It was also during this time that I started to explore the possibility of entertaining spirituality outside of religion, energy work, and Reiki specifically. Now, I wasn't doing energy work or really having any spiritual connection at all at this point, but I was reading books, I was curious, but I wasn't like doing anything about it. And mind you, because I was kind of flip-flopping on my diet, 
I noticed the inflammation go down in my arms when I ate healthy. Like it was a visibly and physically noticeable difference. The more sugar I ate, the more I could feel my arms bulk up. Like visibly they weren't bulking up, but I could feel the inflammation creep in. And then suddenly my my fingers started to hurt or my wrist would get really weak and start to hurt. And of course, the more quote unquote bad things I ate, the more pain would settle in. And then I would heal a little bit because I was eating fine and then I would go back. And so that was happening. But it still wasn't the type of healing that I wanted nor thought was possible. Like I, I didn't want to be stuck in a body that was feeling pain all the time. And I didn't want to be stuck in a body that like couldn't support itself whether that's mentally or physically, on a nourishment level, you know. And then I had a friend and coworker give me a book. And this book completely changed my life. It's a book I recommend to nearly everyone I see and work with, especially if they have chronic illness or chronic pain or whatever it is. It was a book called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. The premise of this book is that the way you speak to yourself, the way your thoughts are running in your mind, have a direct correlation of the manifestations of physical illness in your body. Another spin on it could be the law of attraction. You are what you attract. It's a lot of mindset work, but essentially through her work, she came to the conclusion that specific thought patterns bring in specific illnesses or specific pain or specific decreased functions in different parts of the body or organs. And so upon reading this, I realized that I truly felt in my body that I needed to prove that I was sick in order for people to love me. And I understand that that's a huge statement. But her work and the way she explained things and the, the feelings and the thoughts that she correlated with thyroid issues especially were spot on for me. But I realized that I thought I needed to prove that I was sick in order to be loved, which would explain why at this point I had gastroparesis, celiac disease, straight back syndrome. I just realized that I forgot to tell you that the shortness of breath was caused by chronic acid reflux back when I was diagnosed with celiac disease. That was the issue. And I was put on uh, PPIs for that, and it completely resolved the acid reflux and completely resolved the breathing problems. Okay, back to where we were. But the acid reflux the hypothyroid disease, and the Hashimoto's. And upon reading this book and its teachings, I could reflect on and recognize that when people asked me how I was doing, I would never admit that I was good if I really was good. I recall consciously like wanting to say good because that was the truth, but I didn't want them to not give me love. I didn't recognize it for that at that time. But I thought they would give me less attention if I wasn't sick. So instead of saying I'm good, 
I'd say, oh, I'm okay. Or like, oh, I hurt a little bit today. Or, oh, this is going on, but whatever. Like I would, like, I would always dumb it down. I would make it worse than it actually was. Not a lot worse, but just enough to like pull them in. And this book teaches you how to examine the why. Why are you thinking that way? Why are you thinking those things? Why do you feel that way? And I realized that I felt that people would only love me when I was sick because of that first diagnosis with celiac disease, gastroparesis, and GERD. Because after so many years of people not believing that I was sick, even though I was in pain every single day, after so many years, I could finally say, I told you so. I was actually sick. And when I could tell them that I was actually sick and I could prove it, there's a real diagnosis, suddenly I could see everybody feeling really sorry for me and regretting how the situation panned out to begin with. And so once you recognize that, you can't unrecognize it. <laughs> and I really committed to changing that. I really acknowledged that my thoughts played a huge role in how my life played out and how my body functioned. And so bit by bit, I paid extra close attention to how my thoughts were running in my head, how I acted towards other people, how authentic I was being. And I would stop myself if I was going in the wrong direction and I would course correct immediately. And with this change, I suddenly found it so much easier to approach my diet with grace and understanding. I dropped the labels of what good food is and what bad food is. I stopped guilting myself when I had a treat. I stopped using the word cheat because with cheat comes negative connotations. Cheat implies that you're doing something wrong. And if I wanted to have something just one time, I could allow that to myself. And so I started to use the word allowance. If I wanted to go have ice cream just because I wanted ice cream, that's an allowance. It's not a cheat. And I started to really approach everything with so much grace and self-compassion because I was conscious of my thoughts, because I realized I could choose how I thought about different things. Suddenly I was more in control than I ever was before. And with that control, because I was dropping the guilt and the shame and the shoulds of everything that I was doing in my normal life, that alone was decreasing my inflammation and my pain. Because when you are in those really low vibrational emotions, the shame, the guilt, the depression, the anxiety, the worry about doing something wrong, that alone sets so many signals in your body telling you that something is wrong that the, like the defense mechanisms go up, the inflammation goes up. The pain goes up because not only is your body telling you something that is wrong, but your thoughts are like, yeah, something is really wrong. You need to go get that. You need to attack that. You need to punish her even. Yeah, so when you're feeling guilt and you're feeling shame about a choice you made, that guilt and shame tells your 
internal systems to punish you for it. It might not be through chronic pain like it was for me or inflammation, but see how that shows up for you if that resonates. And so bit by bit, I dropped the guilt, I dropped the shame, I changed the very language I was using in association with things so I could have a much more healthier relationship, not only with language, but with myself. A year later, I was significantly better. I was still experiencing some symptoms, especially in my digestion. So I went to a new doctor who did diagnose me with SIBO, which is like a bacteria overgrowth in the intestine, which isn't surprising at all considering the diet that I had in my young adult life and also like the flip-flopping of the good diet and the bad diet. Like it, it, it made sense. So there was a short-term diet to fix that, which was amazing. And with that diet, I actually did find relief in my gastroparesis symptoms, which was amazing. This also helped improve my acid reflux. I could finally get off my PPIs, which I am so incredibly grateful for. You should not be on PPIs for long-term use. It can cause like osteoporosis. I think it might even cause cancer. Don't quote me on that, but it's not good to be on those drugs long term. But also Western medicine doctors aren't showing you an alternative, especially with diet. Once I was able to fully transition to a whole foods, at this time I was eating mostly paleo diet and with correcting the SIBO, my acid reflux went completely away. Completely. So I've made a lot of progress, right? Then a little while later, I had some pain in my abdomen. And I have a history of getting ovarian cysts. A lot of us do. It's kind of like a normal thing, they say. But I was having a little extra pain. So during my annual visit to the gynecologist, I was like, hey, can you just look at this? Can you like humor me? Like, it's a lot more painful than it usually is for a cyst, and it's been here for a while. And at first, she really brushed me off, and she didn't even want to look at it, but I insisted, and we did an ultrasound, and they found that I had a endometrioma cyst, which is a cyst that only comes with endometriosis. And it was a cyst that had been there for quite a while because it was about the size of a business card, which means I needed surgery. I really took this diagnosis hard. One, because surgery is scary. Two, because it was like another thing to add to my resume, right? But three, I was like, I've worked so hard to like heal my body and I felt like knocked down. But I noticed a difference when I was talking about endometriosis with family and friends. I could see the difference in how I explained it and how I explained how I was feeling And I realized I could see the progress that I had made in my internal environment comparing this new diagnosis with all the other ones that I have experienced. I could see like the proof in the pudding and I could recognize like I've done a really good job. I've done a really good job to be kind to my body and be authentic to myself And I realized that I had grown out of the need to prove that I was sick to people. Like, I didn't really want to talk about it to people. I didn't want to 
I didn't feel the need to say that I was worse than I actually was because all in all, I did feel pretty good at the time. It bothered me at times, but most of the day it didn't. And I was honest about that. And it was the first time that I could really recognize the progress that I had made. And I was really proud of myself for that. I had surgery the end of 2019 to remove the cyst. And I was told that I would likely be back there for a future surgery later on because that's just the name of the game with endometriosis. It's reoccurring. But again, I was like, that is the Western mindset. I'm not going to be back here and I'll show you. And so I really started to dig into functional medicine more. I got really serious about my diet. I went back to my functional medicine practitioner who treated my SIBO and I was like, hey, could you look at my my hormones? Because I don't want to be back getting surgery again for endometriosis. So please tell me what my hormones look like so we can correct them. And we found that my estrogen level was three times what it should be. And if you are familiar with endometriosis, it is caused by excess estrogen. And so we went through strategies to decrease my estrogen to help my progesterone levels because those were low. And I haven't had any problems since. Granted, it's 2023 now. My surgery was in 2019, but we're good. Because I had had such success with Louise Hay and her beautiful book, I continued to explore spirituality during this time. What that meant and what it meant for me. And most significantly, I explored energy work. I had read books about Reiki. I read books about meeting spirit guides. But I never like actually experienced it. And then COVID happened and I got bombarded with the most scary anxiety that I've ever had. And so I was like, well, I can't function with this anxiety living in my body right now. I am so fearful. I've got nothing to lose. And so I booked a Reiki appointment. And when I tell you it was night and day, it was night and day. I went into my Reiki appointment completely terrified that I was going to die. Not even joking. And the next day, I felt fine. I felt confident. I felt safe. And it was so beautiful and assuring. And I was like, I need this. (laughs) I need this. This modality is incredible. And so a few months later, I got attuned to Reiki level one and level two. Level one is where you do Reiki on the self. Level two is where you can learn to do Reiki on other people. Six months later, I got attuned to level three, the Reiki master level. And then a year after that, just under a year, I got level four. It's not technical level four, but I got a fourth level of Holy Fire Karuna Reiki. And Reiki is such a beautiful modality for healing thoughts, inherited beliefs, yes, chronic illness, pain. It is so incredibly beautiful. And like, I feel so lucky that I get to help people realize their power just because they're them. Anyway, we will talk about Reiki 
in general another day. But what we're talking about here is how Reiki energy work and spirituality helped heal my chronic illness. We've already covered some things so far, but like, what else? So first, we talked about the book, You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. This book made me face unhealthy thought patterns and deep-rooted unconscious beliefs that I did not even know were there. And when we act without any self-awareness, that is when we are not in control. And this book really taught me to pay attention to what is happening in my inner environment. This could also be called shadow work. It really is, if you are familiar with that term. And paying attention to my inner thoughts, to my actions, to my beliefs, it allowed me to approach my diet with grace and understanding so I could get to a place where eating a whole foods diet comes so naturally and in fact it's actually what I want like truly it's what I want did I ever think I would be here no especially when I was flip-flopping between the good and the bad right and on the flip side it also allows me to have an allowance to have something special that I wouldn't normally eat without guilt and most especially without any physical repercussions But I can recognize now that there isn't good, there isn't bad. And if I want to have something that I normally wouldn't have, I can have it. I'm the boss. I can have it. And I can just have it once because I'm not guilting myself and saying I'm never going to be able to have it again. Reiki erased my anxiety and it still continues to bring me back down into my center. Whenever I am feeling iffy about something, whenever those really high emotions, no, I shouldn't say high, whenever those low vibrational feelings, anger, sadness, depression, anxiety, guilt, worry, whatever it is, whenever I feel those creeping up, I will automatically give myself Reiki and I can feel like this blanket of calm settle into my system. Being conscious of myself, my thoughts, with the help of Reiki and spirituality has brought me closer to my authentic self Every time I receive Reiki, I feel so calm and like myself. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Like when you receive energy work and you're like giving that gift of Reiki to yourself, it feels like you become more yourself in like the most loving way possible. And it allows you to see your own divinity, right? We are all divine. We are all sacred. We are all in control over our experience. And you can learn to become in control of your experience with mindset work like Louise Hay practices. Or you could read The Law of Attraction by Esther Hicks. That is also, it's not medical related, but it's also the same theory, essentially, through Reiki and energy work, clearing out any stagnant energy that's lodged in your system or beliefs or unhealthy thought patterns. But the most profound thing that encompasses all those is that when you step into taking control, the mindset work, spirituality even, or Reiki, you're choosing yourself and you're saying, hey, I know I'm in control here and I can do something about this because I am divine. And I am love. 
and I can decide how my life will look, how my body will work. If you can commit to choosing yourself and choosing growth, taking accountability even, at the core of it, I really believe that that is what spirituality is. Recognizing your divineness, your control, and your awareness of all the good and the bad. Your awareness of how things can change, how things don't need to change. Your awareness of you and how you can show up. And all those things is truly what allowed me to heal today. To be healed today. Yes, the diet, of course, did lots of the legwork. But the mindset and the Reiki and the spirituality is really what sealed the deal. (laughs) And now today I have zero chronic pain. I have zero inflammation. I stopped taking all the supplements that all the people said I needed. I'm only on one medication right now because my thyroid just was too shot to go back. But I used to spend hundreds of dollars every month on supplements to support my body. And once I claimed my divineness and took control, that is when I could eliminate all those because I can eat things that do those same things essentially. And I just don't need all those supplements. My body didn't need them anymore because my body was feeling the support internally because I didn't have those energetic blocks anymore because I didn't have those unhealthy thoughts that were creating the, I'm going to say bioki, it's a Reiki term, wasn't creating bioki, which is like tainted, like sludgy energy in my body that was making me sick. So that is my long-winded story of chronic illness and how I healed it. And so if you would like help taking control of your life, becoming more yourself, if you'd like to learn about yourself, to become aware You can always come to me for a Reiki healing. Not only do I heal the energy within your body, but I get channeled messages that come through during the session and I'll tell you what's going on and not only tell you what's going on, but I'll show you like, hey, you should maybe think about doing this instead, or this is how you should approach that situation, or this might help you achieve this thing. Every session is unique. I get lots of different messages based on the chakra or body part I'm focusing on, but they're incredibly helpful and they give you so much insight and control on your life and moving forward. If you want to learn more, visit me at ofthether.com. O-F-T-H-E-E-T-H-E-R.com. <laughs>